This is the Cole Memo. I am your host, Cole Preston. In this episode, I'll be sitting down with Danielle Schumacher to talk about an Illinois cannabis tradition that some say dates all the way back to the 80s. It was called Hash Wednesday. Every episode of the Cole Memo is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, Simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. From there, you can find the corresponding episode, and then you will be able to access the audio, video, and or transcript version of the podcast. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's thecolememo.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a great way to support our show. One of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free. Subscribe to or follow our show. Leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from. Favorite this episode. Give it a thumbs up. Leave a comment or post a review. Your engagement and support is appreciated. Today is October 24th, 2023, and this conversation was captured on October 23rd, 2023, and will be part of a series that I plan to do on Hash Wednesday. So this is episode one of that series, if you will. Uh, They're not going to be released in any chronological order because, uh, as you'll find, this participant was from like the 2000s. But I am in touch with people from some of the earlier protests in the 80s, for example. So stay tuned for all that and more. Enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. Hello, Danielle. How's it going today? Hey, Cole. I'm so glad to be on your show and um, excited to talk about Hash Wednesday, some of the history um, yeah. in Illinois. So yeah, I'm having a great, great day. Hell yeah. Well, before we get into all that, I wanted to give you the space. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience? This is the first time you'll have been on my show. Yeah. Um, so I'm Danielle Schumacher. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs and uh, have been involved in cannabis advocacy of some sort since the early 2000s um, when I was a student at uh, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign uh, is when I got involved um, pretty much full-time uh, and been doing it ever since. Um, I've been going to cannabis conferences all that time. And I just, I wanted to mention, I just got back from um, Phoenix, Arizona 
um, for the Drug Policy Alliance Conference uh, Reform 2023 was uh, really inspiring and amazing. So I feel really, really lucky to be part of all of this and to be um, talking with you today. Yeah, thank you for your time. And, um, you know, I guess let's start with when did you come to We'll call it UIUC, and when we say that, folks, I want to say that we're referring mm -hmm. to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. So when did you come to UIUC? I was a student there from 2000 to 2004, gotcha. and um, a lot of my classmates from my high school went to Urbana-Champaign as well. It was kind of like the backup school for people who um, couldn't get into an Ivy League or couldn't afford it or something like that it was like the backup school for some reason at that point. But it's actually um, a really, really good school for my major was anthropology. And um, I'm really glad I didn't couldn't go to the University of Chicago, because if I had gone to a more difficult school, um, I don't think I would have had. Well, I know I wouldn't have had the time for all the student activities and things we got involved in on campus um, as students. And then I lived there until 2005 um, in Urbana, until 2005, um, and was also involved in some community work there as well. So got off campus a little bit more than the average student, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And you kind of answered the why did you come to UIUC, which is my second question. You said anthropology. Is that right? Yeah. My cool. bachelor's is in anthropology. Very cool. And uh, the the question that's going to lay out everything, um, when and how did you first hear about Hash Wednesday? And maybe as a part of that, you'll be able to explain what is Hash Wednesday. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I really don't know when I first heard about it. I think it, I probably knew that it happened. Um, I believe it happened uh, when I was a freshman, um, maybe <laughs> I, I was talking to a few people, you know, when you had reached out and then, um, it just seems like something that was always there in some form or another, um, since the eighties for sure, but yeah. possibly since the seventies. Um, and, uh, cause one of the, I was looking back and one of the flyers for hash Wednesday that I saw said seventh annual. Um, and that was in 2004 ish. Um, but I, I think that we, um, yeah, that flyer was inaccurate. Cause I, I know for sure hash Wednesday had happened, um, decades ago, decades before I was a student there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'll pull up a, maybe a newspaper clipping of the oldest one I can find at least. Uh, well, we can start with this one and then we'll we'll get back on track. But just for a moment, for history's sake, yeah. here's a, a newspaper clipping from April 19th, 1989. And it features actually an individual we will be interviewing in this series, Joshua Sloan. Um, and he's actually pictured a lot in these newspaper clippings, which is really cool. He uh, He didn't even realize some of these photos still existed. So it was cool to hear him say like, wow, that is me, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, to your point, to your point, and I've always heard that it's a little bit unclear. And actually, I think it was even in one of the newspaper clippings you sent me, it's always been a little bit unclear when exactly this started. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like you say, I can find some things to point to as far as 
back as the 80s at least um, of it having started but if you could for our audience uh, so you had said maybe you don't exactly remember when you had heard uh, about it but if you could for the audience when you heard about it what did you understand it to be what was hash wednesday uh so when i heard about it um i was also learning about other um public gatherings and cannabis festivals of different sorts around the midwest um they're all called something different there's one in madison one in detroit um it was called like the hash bash in detroit right or something like that hash bash in michigan um i was i know they're they might still do the one in uh madison actually um that had been there even longer than hash wednesday i believe um just around the midwest but definitely not indiana of course um (laughs) i don't know of any i didn't know of any cannabis festivals in indiana at that time but um yeah it's a gathering and it was specifically on campus hash wednesday was on the campus, which is in Champaign, Illinois, central Illinois, feels pretty rural, but it's a big college town. Um, yeah, people would gather there and mostly the the goal was just as many people as possible to smoke weed on the campus um, and around the time of 420, but, you know, its own thing. And I, I mean, when I first heard about it, I remember getting a big kick out of the like religious implications, you know, of the name Hash Wednesday. Um, so just a lot of festivities. I, I'm sure it varied a lot over time. I haven't kept up since since I was involved in organizing it. But um, yeah, just sometimes um, more a smaller group, low key. There was definitely a phase of it being pretty small. Um, but I was always, I always heard that it had gone on continuously, at least in some small, at least a small gathering of people from the community. It's a tradition for them. And so it's a, a really unique event on campus there because it's um, truly um, stu- students and community showing up um, and, and share that tradition. Um, although that's varied over the years, because when I was thinking back, you know, some of the years I attended, I don't, I don't think there was a large presence of community members, but um, the, the cannabis community was merged anyway, you know, that was one of the parts of campus life that was really intertwined with um, locals, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of funny to hear. I actually do know a local, and I was telling the individual, uh, so he participated in many hash Wednesdays, and uh, I was telling you know them that i was interviewing a range of people and they were like you name you mind naming off some names and i was like well danielle schumacher you know if uh joshua salone if you uh, danielle oh i've shared a few bowls with danielle <laughs> so he's a local he was not i don't believe he was in college at the time so just to your point of yeah. community cannabis community members showing up uh, i believe maybe that person's an example of that uh, just last question on that, just to dwell on it a little bit. I just, I know I keep going off topic or not. No, answering. no, you're, you're not, you're totally, you're killing it. it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, I wanted to just frame it in a different way. Uh, just because maybe it's me, you know, looking through everything with rose colored glasses, but I get this like youthful feeling in my stomach. Like when I would have heard about Hash Wednesday, because it doesn't go on anymore nowadays to what I understand. And if it does, it's really low key. 
Um, but I, I put myself like when I was in college and like thinking about if I would have heard an event like this and I just can feel this like feeling in my stomach. Was that what it was like for you or like what? I don't know. I'm just trying to get a sense. Yeah, I mean, at the time it was pure freedom. I, we felt yeah. completely untouchable. Like we could do anything almost like not anything we want on campus, but as long as all we did was smoke a little bit of weed. And if we weren't too, Crazy. you know, it never, yeah. it never was too big or got too out of control or anything like that. We never mixed it, tried to mix it with alcohol or anything, you know, it was a simple, you know, civil disobedience really, because that was not allowed on campus. So there was that rush for sure of like, wow, we, we can do this and we can, um, at try to add more to it and get the word out about it and um, we felt really uh, confident <laughs> like thinking back it's like wow who did we think we were but um we were students so we could get away with it you know I was very aware I was in student government and I was very aware I felt a sense of like aware that we had the privilege as students we were protected um as far as um doing that kind of event um that um we were in a good position to, um, you know, just get the fi simple things like file the form with the campus to have permission to use the space. So right. um, we followed all the rules of, as long as we followed all the rules that uh, to have a um, legit event, you know, and, and a safe event. Um, so it was a very, yeah, I remember a feeling of like just safety, like that it was very, um, it was a very, relaxed event and very festive very fun um not as diverse as we would have liked it was a very white crowd um primarily probably vast majority um it was a not a very diverse campus at that time um but but uh still you know like a, a really cross-section of people and a really good vibe and um <laughs> Yeah, talking to you about it was making me really, and looking through the pictures and stuff was making me uh, think of all the people and wanting to reach out to everyone. <laughs> yeah, so I'm displaying some images, folks. Thank you again, Danielle, for providing them. I'm just going through, uh, just kind of showing, you know, some glances at the, at the crowd. And then I've got a funny newspaper clipping you sent, just to your point of feeling invincible. Uh, that'll maybe be a good point to to bounce back to, but let's just go through yeah. some of these pictures. Do you want to share any thoughts? Uh, I want to be sure to give you the space. This is just a really good opportunity to capture history. So uh, yeah. I don't mean to go too quickly through these if you have any oh, thoughts to share. Um, well, all of the people in these photos were participating in a public event, and I, I think they would be okay with their photos being shown publicly. Yeah. Um, that was part of that's what was coming to mind to me just how much has changed this was the first digital camera i owned it was a like early kodak easy share uh -huh. <laughs> um so i was thinking about wow the camera that i took these with and the process of like look at this guy's uh, cell phone sorry to cut you off oh, but yeah just too. the oh. time the time oh you know? i love it oh so that's, that's a nokia he was the, I want to say he was the president of the campus greens or maybe the campus libertarians. We were, we had like a coalition of groups that participated, uh, when we were, uh, students there. Um, oh, we were grilling. I was okay. about to say, I saw a grill back there. <laughs> nice. Some food. I don't remember that, but I'm sure I ate whatever was grilled there. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
oh yeah, I think, you know, it was probably, oh yeah, we had like some art and um, it was always fun to watch the people who were sitting up there having their lunch. That was the student union. Oh, okay. People- so these people were like having lunch. It's funny, some of their reactions in the background and then uh, lots of different kinds of speakers over the years. Um, that's Shaleen Title holding a oh, yeah. <laughs> wooden leaf. Wooden pot leaf, yep. That's awesome. A little cannabis leaf. Oh, there you are. I take it with your necklace, your weed necklace. Yep. That's awesome. Super cool. Everybody so, looks. Everybody looks happy. <laughs> yeah yeah um what were you gonna say you know, well I guess we just skipped class a lot to be able to do these kinds of things on campus during the school day because this would be like all day on a Wednesday uh-huh there you yeah, are speaking well, yeah we um we would get student funds too like we were able to fund this through the student organization fund very cool very cool and were there like other, uh, it looked like I saw like SSDP, Normal, for example. So were there other advocacy groups that helped to join and kind of organize for this? Yeah, we worked with Campus ACLU. Yep, we had the um, joint costume and we That's had a cool. website. I mean, that was like early days of websites and we had pretty good, I'm impressed with our graphics. Um, yeah, you got a website, you got the graphics. That's pretty <laughs> we cool. A, we had a consistent logo that was pretty cool. Um, I was, we got to figure out who this is. Her name's Karen. Um, Karen, if you see this, I love you. And she was part of my, she was one of my early mentors. Uh, there was a really Illinois normal board at that time. And she was a long, I learned a lot about the festival situation from Karen, like that, you know, what was going on in Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. Mm Mm-hmm. This is something that stood out to me, you know, yeah, yeah, his shirt. And, you know, we'll touch on this in another episode, maybe, uh, you know, back in the eighties and such when, when urine testing really started to become a thing, but I thought that was really interesting to see this. Our shirt. Yeah. We had, um, I, I was thinking about that too. Um, of course I don't still have that shirt, but, um, just all the different issues that were new to us at the time that, Mm-hmm. Um, the drug war was ramping up and yeah we did most of these speakers were serious but then as you saw I mean we had a joint playing a guitar so we I know we like tried to mix it up but we were really serious activists on campus I would say nice yeah and just for a reminder for folks people were basically saying that hey the solution to the war on drugs is we'll just urine test everybody students included um you know, and uh, it is interesting to read like the U of I, for example, had uh, at least for student athletes, uh, mm-hmm. drug testing. And I've got an old article about uh, an athlete who was prevented from competing in certain events because they because certain schools had spelled out that people that test positive for marijuana can't play, uh, can't participate. But in other events, it just said performance enhancing drugs. And so they made the argument that cannabis was not a performance enhancing drug. Mm. And so he was able to participate in some events. We'll share that in a different episode. Anyways, yeah. uh, just wanted to give some background on why urine testing may have been a shirt and a conversation point because people forget, you know? 
Oh, well, to put this in perspective, at the time that we were organizing the events that are in this these photos, um, the person behind a lot of that urine testing was Peter Benzinger. And it was like one of the first times where it was being exposed that um, these like federal drug warriors were actually turning around and making a ton of money off of urine testing. Mm. Um, John Ashcroft was in office at the time I got involved on, on campus. Um, when we started a, the chapter of SSDP and normal, um, it was I was just so in shock about some of the stuff that Ashcroft was doing. Hmm. Damn. So yeah, for another episode, <laughs> yeah. going down the lane was like bringing up a, a lot of how, and how a lot has happened in Illinois that's kind of lost to history, except for right. these newspaper clips. Oh my gosh, the there was no media coverage at the time. So this event, I felt um, as much as I could be aware as like, early, you know, I was like 19 or 20 years old and from the Chicago suburbs, I didn't, what did I really know about what was going on in the world, especially about cannabis policy, but I did, I did see that there was, when there was media coverage at that time, it was negative. Um, and I um, took it upon myself to be a spokesperson of privilege. Like, hey, I'm a college student who has this platform and um, just to speak about whatever it was at the time. So yeah, we did and coverage of Hash Wednesday, you know, maybe playing into the stereotypes a little bit, but overall it was some of the only positive media coverage at that time related to cannabis. Yeah. Here's an example of that. You know, here you are saying drugs are not evil. I am not evil. Yes. I smoke weed, but who cares? <laughs> I, I want to get that framed. I didn't notice that, but I didn't. Thank you for saying that because I was my eye went straight to the other quote, the bolded one. This one, um, yeah, I was gonna actually. This is how I was gonna wrap it back to you saying you felt invincible. It's very interesting to hear to see this quote from uh, what was it? I guess the university police department. Um, yeah. He says you're basically disrespecting the rules and the regulations of the university. If it's against the law, it's against the law until it's legal. It's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> that was the kind of quotes that were used at that time. Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Interesting stuff. I th I know that, and Shaleen might remember more specifically about the political context of this moment for us was we were on very good terms with a lot of different levels of power holders, whether it was campus, community, we knew our um, local elected officials. Um, we were always doing things in coalition with community groups and broader than cannabis groups. Um, so yeah, to looking back now, I, I feel good about the media work that we did. Sometimes I do wonder, did I even accomplish anything? I've just been so lucky to have the um, path that I've had. A lot of it has been a like professional career path that all kind of came out of the organizing in Urbana-Champaign um, through um, the existing structures of that time for the drug policy movement. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I say, well done. And, and I, you know, I wanted to show a few more pictures of newspaper clippings that you sent, and then I'll, then I'll maybe throw uh, some more questions your way. But I think it is funny to to think about, yeah, that 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 
youth, that feeling that you get in your youth where, yeah, you're, you're like invincible, but you actually did have a, it sounds like a really solid approach by looping in the stakeholders that you might be worried about, like, you know, your local representatives and, and letting the university know when and where you're hosting this event, not just showing up and, uh, you know, risking getting in trouble that way. It sounds like you really did try to approach it as in the rules as you could. It, mm-hmm. for lack of better words yeah definitely and then knowing that we were taking a risk with um people consuming possessing and consuming on campus so i know that there's many people who um, didn't feel comfortable participating in the the smoke out on campus during the day but we would have events um in the evening and off campus um where it was a safer space legally <laughs> yeah Folks. yeah Absolutely. Um, uh, just to your point, I was going to show this newspaper clipping and when we'll show others, you said, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what people attending the event will do. She said, if people choose to smoke, that is their choice. The event is simply put on to inform and educate, you know? So, mm. yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, this is another one that uh, one of the mm. pictures that we'll show later. I wasn't sure what was going on. I thought these kids were just openly rolling joints. It turns out you guys were rolling herbs like uh, oregano and basil. And that this quote is really hilarious. This person says, I prefer basil, but all they had was oregano. <laughs> yep. He rolled, tw- <laughs> he rolled 23 cigarettes in five minutes. That's professional. I need to that hit was- up. Yeah, we had, there were people that just came out of the woodwork and were rolling (laughs) all kinds of intricate things. Everybody interpreted the assignment a little differently and um, knew that they could possibly end up in the newspaper like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, Another newspaper clipping um, looks like from 2005, just some coverage of Hash Wednesday. I thought was interesting to see. Um. Again, thank you so much for for capturing this for history, because like you say, stuff like this could and, you you know, it could die, you know, with with whatever scan you took. So by doing this, we're preserving this in another format so, you know, that people can see this. So it's really cool that you held on to these things. Hey, this person's name's Cole. I'm already a fan. Oh, here we go. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know if these things are still online. I didn't look. I just figured it I know that I looked for some and they weren't still there so I'm not surprised local newspapers or student newspapers Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it can be like you say you can find some of this stuff I'm sure but but yeah a lot of this stuff can be tough to find so it's super cool that that we're doing this um yeah that was another newspaper it looks like there's some more uh pictures here I was going to share some of the flyers that you uh yeah as produced yeah. that's some pretty good graphic design for 2004 that's um, what i'm saying <laughs> i think there used to be like an actual stencil process as part of some of this but um be, yeah, it'd be interesting whole- to see if uiuc normal is uh still on like you know archived somewhere on the web to see what the old website looks like right yeah there's a lot of we could do a lot of digging from now that we're talking about this i hadn't thought about it in a long time and the, oh there karen thomas that was her name ideal reform oh, oh okay. wow. 
Okay, there that's all. My brain's like, because yeah, we used to do a lot of teach-ins. That was the thing to do, teach-ins back in the day. That's very cool. Um, Looks like this is a uh, press release, maybe. Yeah, we definitely did some press releases and faxed them around town. <laughs> faxed them. That's something you don't hear anymore. <laughs> Do you go to Kinko's and fax them somewhere or something yes. like that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We Or we had like our, you know, our hub, wherever our like activist organizing hub was, would have a fax machine and copy machine for sure. That's funny. <laughs> uh uh this is cool uh you know some old activities with leap we've had people i believe from leap on the show in the past so it's cool to see that they've been in the game that long or in the advocacy in advocacy that long yeah yeah that was the early days of leap for sure i've met a lot of uh people through leap over the years we've been working with them a long time <laughs> that was uh one of the organizations Shaleen worked with uh after we graduated yeah speaking of shaleen uh shaleen is queen elizabeth oh, i think man yeah this so i'm we sure a, she's real happy that we're sharing this right now no i actually did talk to her about this because um yeah you never know like old photos and <laughs> oh you're getting you know you people see your see your show so yeah um yeah, um, my memory was that Shaleen won first prize in the costume contest. It was a um, celebrity stoner costume contest. One okay. year. Um, she got runner up. She got second place. Um, first place was The Dude. And I still can't tell you what movie that's from, but I it's not like my thing. So I was like, who's The yeah. Dude? Obviously, Shaleen should win. Yeah, <laughs> she it's... was Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> queen elizabeth that is funny yeah it's stumping me right now i can't remember what movie that is either um but there here's shaleen again oh, as queen elizabeth yeah. just in case that i showed it too uh short but um do you do you remember who this individual is oh for sure i was gonna say i definitely want to mention brian brickner um he was a long time illinois normal board member um possibly in the 90s starting okay. in the 90s i mean um uh, yeah, Diana and Brian Brickner were the, um, we used to have our, we used to do a lot of activities up in um, Wicker Park and around Chicago and and the Capitol, Springfield. I mean, um, the Illinois Normal Board was instrumental in a lot of um, lobbying activities at that time that uh, we were tied into. Awesome. Just a few other photos that were in this particular album. This looks like it's from 2005. Um, oh, uh, paper mache joint. <laughs> yeah, look at that massive, massive joint. Oh, there was like an offshoot club of our group called Legalize It. And then I believe Legalize It would do, did a lot of this that you're seeing. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's the last one out of that album. Uh, okay. Actually, I didn't show this one i thought this was cool free brownies for all i'm guessing they were just regular brownies yeah so i would love to i think we could find out this might have been our first one of our first events where we it was kind of a joke or not a, yeah it was like a, a gimmick um mm -hmm. it was just regular brownies but we decided to that was just one of our ongoing gimmicks you know <laughs> yeah 
you know, it's, it's to tell you something funny that will be featured in a later episode. Um, one of the stories that somebody told me was that they would uh, make regular brownies and roll joints of tobacco and pass it out amongst the crowd in order to dilute the supply. In other words, when people were, I guess, you know, if officials were going around, it was hard to tell which brownies were normal, which were pot infused, which joints were tobacco and which were cannabis, you know, rolled. And so just kind of funny, older history um, yeah. and how they would do stuff like that. So I wanted to show a, just a few more photos in case you had any thoughts to share. And then I've got, you know, some more of those questions that I'd sent you. Here is another look of the rolling competition. I thought, so I had seen this without context and I thought these kids were just like doing it loud and proud, rolling up right in front of the student union. Cause you can kind of see in these photos, it, you know, green leafy substance. And I just thought like, wow, this is uh that's, they were really doing it, but they, apparently it was a rolling competition. And that was kind of the point, right? Cause it, we knew it was going to be a photo op and it was also like a public demonstration. So it's like yeah. a lot people would stop and you could see various levels of shock or amusement on their face. Um, mm -hmm. The banner behind them says your government is lying. <laughs> oh, nice. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You can really see the, uh, the herbs and spices in this photo, all their rolling trays. He's got, he's using his bongo as a rolling tray. I love that. And and that it reminded me how intense it would be to go into head shops at that time. How you had to really <laughs> know the right language and right, watch what you're saying. Yeah, you could. I got kicked out of a few head shops just by like honestly shopping, you know, looking for something, um, and in, you know, in describing it to the person in the store of like what I was looking for. They're like, "Oh, you can't say that in my store. Get out. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that here or whatever." So, um, yeah. Just to make just to make it a little bit more clear for folks that are listening, like, for example, Danielle, if you walked in and said, oh, I want that bong, they would go, hey, it's a water pipe. Is that what you're talking about? You probably wouldn't get kicked out for that. But I sure. think once I said I was describing the type of pipe and um, I called it a hash pipe. Oh, uh, yeah. So that got me. They were like, hash is illegal, little girl. <laughs> and then on campus, when we were putting our first few events together, we were going around to the head shops in town, you know, very naively, I was going into stores and telling, asking for the owner and telling them what I'm doing. And, um, you know, mostly they were supportive, but one of them was super annoyed. And I, I totally get it. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I was so, um, you know, just the caucasity of some of the stuff, <laughs> I at that time, you know. I've never heard that uh, saying. That's funny. <laughs> I'm guessing that means you're really just leaning into your pr privilege of being white. Is that, am oh, I wrong? Yeah. I mean, I had some, I, some of it, I knew that was going on and some of it, I still just, it was just how I was. And, you know, I was also, I was really, really angry. You know, I had, even at that age, I had already lived through a lot of things firsthand like seeing a lot of things firsthand family and friends and you know the difference between legal drugs and illegal drugs and what the fuck is going on here <laughs> so we were all really angry you know yeah. um yeah but 
this so this this event was one of our, it was our most I would say our most fun event other than the benefit concerts um it was like a day of celebration in a way although now I think gosh we really still don't even have that much to celebrate as far as um gains and but but culture has shifted quite a bit although okay here one for many years I don't know how many years but one of the components of Pash Wednesday was the um this display of photos of people who were incarcerated mm -hmm. for um drug possession and sales um so that was like a touring show at that time that would be at some form of that would be at the all the festivals cannabis festivals so oh fire dance that's matt atwood one of the early founding members of ssdp nice very interesting and this is what what is this you know it's funny i'm from champaign but i didn't go to school at the university of illinois so is this the quad or what's what is this yeah, that's the main quad okay um, and then um so you if you're from champaign but you had you heard of hash wednesday uh, not until it was legalized and I met the individual I was referencing earlier, who's kind of more, I was actually looking for this. Here's more of those displays you were referencing earlier, but yeah. I had first heard of hash Wednesday from that old timer that I was, uh, referencing earlier that, uh, had participated all the way back in the eighties, but then said they also knew you from when you organized it, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. So that's how I learned about hash Wednesday. Um, that's beautiful and you know oh. it's just really quick uh, I was scanning the newspapers some of the newspapers that I showed earlier and somebody at the library approached me and they were just like hey everything going okay and I was just like yeah and they're just like sorry to ask but like I just noticed you're scanning a lot over here what, do, what are you scanning and I'm like oh just you know stuff for like hash Wednesday history and stuff like that and they're like hash Wednesday and they knew the individual that knows you and they had participated in some Hash Wednesdays. So this was in Champaign, just to show you kind of a house small world story. But um, sorry, I feel like you were about to maybe say something about what I'm displaying right now. Well, this was really important. And um, I wish that I was prepared to speak more specifically about this. This was um, one version of this. Uh, there was a name for um, it was a touring um, demonstration, uh, and there was a few books affiliated with this. I, I believe these images came from Mickey Norris and Chris Conrad's book. Mm. Um, so that made me think of how important Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris's work um, has been, and um, some of their books that uh, you know at that time we didn't. It what you couldn't just get online and find images and print stuff out. I mean, you could, for sure, you could, but it wasn't. There wasn't. A lot available and i i'm pretty sure at this time i was still on a dial-up sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah I, we have to fact check that but it's like for some reason these images are reminding me of dial-up when you're trying to put something like this together and, and yeah like you said earlier kinkos and um just uh this is pretty amazing that we had this displayed as part of the event for at least i want to say two three years and maybe it had been there uh historically um and that was really important. That was uh, this uh, the book. Uh, I think oh, Shattered Lives is what it's called. Shattered Lives was a photo, mostly photos, and it was some of the first images of people who uh, were incarcerated for low level drug crimes. 
Mm. Um, and it was really humanizing what was going on at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And just for folks that like, don't really realize what goes into this, you know, I feel like, you know, especially even myself, I don't have, like, I can appreciate this and I'm about to do my best to explain it, but I don't, since I didn't live during this time, I don't really have a full appreciation for the effort that was put into this. But just for example, you can see these like documents have been laminated so that they can withstand the wind, you know what I mean? Like, so they didn't just print it off, but you had to laminate it yourself. And it wasn't as easy as just buying like a $50 printer off of Amazon. Like, right. Like, I don't know. Printing was like, you know, you said you knew somebody with a printer earlier, but. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just remember it being um, a lot that went into. Right. And it's still, you know, it's still a lot of work, but yeah, this was like a living display that we were, I remember feeling in awe of the people that were doing this around the country and had been doing it you know this early 2000s they'd been doing it I want to say for like maybe almost 10 years at that point just 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 getting the information out because this kind of information wasn't easily available online there wasn't people didn't know that this kind of thing was happening people had no idea that these kinds of situations were happening Right. I love these photos they chose too. Even though I can't read it, you can see these people had a family. It's all about, yep, showing the families and the different kinds of people who end up serving like life sentences for drug conspiracy, for the mandatory minimums, you know? Right. Right. Oh, it's just so much worse and just so much more out of control. (laughs) But that's for another show for sure. Yeah. Looks like media coverage media was present yeah and campus is so pretty <laughs> yeah there's you and chalene <laughs> with your <laughs> with your fake joint i presume it'd okay. be cool if it was a real joint <laughs> <laughs> you and somebody else oh who was that again oh that's frank um frank narduli and um there's a whole group of um folks are friends to this day who um were super involved and uh made it happen <laughs> yeah i think there's a silly photo of you two coming up there we go oh, oh my god these are before selfies you guys i, <laughs> I should have deleted those out of the folder i shared with you <laughs> i figured maybe you did some curation um not at all i dumped it all in there for oh you. nice nice there you go um this is funny he's climbing the tree with this sign yeah people the event would always kind of like wind down into just hanging out on the quad this is some of our good friends that's super cool rob cool picture of him in the tree oh is that the last one i think that might have been the last one in the album i'll be producing all these folks you know so that you can browse through them at your own leisure um but wanted to share some of these on the on the line with danielle so to say uh to to share some memories um just to get a little bit back on track um and i wanted to give you the space too if if you did if we didn't show any particular images that that you do have memories about because i did skip some i believe um but just generally, uh, and you kind of touched on this, what was the atmosphere and like vibe of Hash Wednesday like while you were there? I mean, you kind of mentioned liberating all that stuff, but do you have anything else to add with regard to the atmosphere or vibe? 
I do remember that a lot of people, even the people pictured who were volunteers helping run the event, were very fearful. Um, a lot of people had either had some in, crim, involvement in criminal justice case of some, like a court case of some kind, they have some kind of record. So there was always that element that um, we were doing this as part of a much bigger picture that we had to be really quiet about. At that time, we still had to be really quiet about, um, I mean, still people, it's still stigmatized, right? But yeah. there was, was, I remember managing a lot of stigma and, you know, for participants who were having to be very um, discreet, uh, people who wanted to be supportive, um, but felt that they couldn't, um, just a lot of factors. Um, and the overall vibe, I mean, typically was lighthearted and felt safe. Um, it never, it never felt like, I imagine that today, if, if there was this kind of thing happening or I mean, not to say today, but like at that time, we didn't have to worry about so much about um, police having so being so quick to pull weapons or use mm. force, um, especially in Urbana-Champaign. It was, um, you know, there, there was a lot of times where we had to talk to the police. I had to go and talk to the police as the representative of the group, but it was never hostile. Not that I know of, but I think I've always had like a bit of a sense of humor about it like a dry sense of humor or and mixed with like confident enough confidence um that I remember having to talk to the police but I, I don't remember being like really scared just like okay this could go bad <laughs> so we did have to be extremely cautious but that was normal at the time um it wasn't the surveillance culture that we have now there was none of that so I think at the same time that it was very, very illegal and very, very unusual for people to be gathering and smoking in public like this. Um, it it didn't feel like so much of a surveillance culture. Um, and we never actually had any legal problems that I'm aware of. Um, I'm really curious about, you know, the earlier years, the earlier events, um, Hash Wednesday. Um, yeah. If there was more um, police activity. Um it was definitely always there. I mean, the police were always around um, and were always imposing different rules and things on us. But um, we were, some of the leadership of our student group was there for three or four years in a row. So it got easier as we went because the event got bigger, but it got easier because um, we built a relationship on campus. Um, and it actually, one thing um, that, looking back on all this, it reminded me that, you know, at that time, we also had a, a research project going with the um, city of Urbana, the chief of police of the city of Urbana. So Hash Wednesday was in Champaign, because um, campus was mostly in Champaign. Um, but Urbana was, um, you know, the neighbor city that was more progressive. And um, we helped the same group that put on Hash Wednesday on campus helped um, decriminalize cannabis in Urbana. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that that had happened in Urbana. I would, ha I would have to dig into some history on that. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's a, I hadn't had a chance to look into it because I think it may have passed and then changed again. And then, because I saw some more recent news, like 2012, um, around that time that there was mm. something 
that happened in Urbana. But um, yeah, the, even that kind of history could be lost with because we didn't document how that happened. But I did have, I did find a few files of where we, um, our, our campus group um, compiled data for the um, city of Urbana. And then that data is what the chief of police used um, to um, present to the city council why they needed to decriminalize. Very cool. Very cool. Um, to your point, there was some law enforcement interactions in the past. Uh, this is in 1989. Just wanted to show this image really quick. This is it was a bit of a crackdown. And according to some of the students that I spoke to, this was a pretty traumatic event of, of it. I meant to say honestly, um, but obviously as well. Uh, so very interesting stuff. Sounds like maybe that something like that didn't really happen that you were aware of uh, during your time at Hash Wednesday. So not that I remember. I I think I would remember if there. Yeah, anything. right. But I right. could be wrong. You know, there could have been things that happened that didn't seem like a big deal at the time. Like maybe um, somebody got a citation or something but i don't remember any even any citations um yeah well another point you made earlier is like it's a real different time that you were in like you having that camera was kind of a rare thing <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong i mean people had those nokias but they weren't really something you're taking out and posting on instagram like people do nowadays <laughs> you know? yeah you had a little chip that stored the photos and then you had to like you know back them up to a yeah <laughs> um I don't know how rare that was maybe I've always I've always been interested in you know even when it was like Polaroid I was always taking pictures as a kid so sure I, I think that those might be the only some of the only photos that are uh, out there of um those years of Hash Wednesday because also people didn't feel comfortable taking photos so I right. know I was strategic that's why I know most of I know almost every person who you can if you can see their face in those photos other than the people in the background you know sure. who were basically choosing to be on stage right <laughs> behind our event um yeah it was a small world but yeah less less documentation less um archiving of what was really going on yeah and what uh, what kind of impact do you think Hash Wednesday had on the university and the community at large, if any? I think taken collectively with all of the other um, activities, you know, all the educational events and um, community events, that happened throughout the year. I think it was definitely an important part of the local culture. Um, like there was a lot of just awareness in general of Hash Wednesday, even if it was just as a joke, um, just that level of awareness that that kind of thing was happening, I think felt really important at the time. It felt really compelling. Like we were actually, <clears throat> it was part of what was making a difference because I think culture change is more important than policy change, although you need both. Um, but whatever the local culture is, is what people's quality of life and everything is linked to. Um, so yeah, it, it did feel important to get into the media too, like we talked about that. Um, I'll look though, I have some more newspaper articles, like clippings, but events like Cash Wednesday were some of the only positive media coverage and that feels important. Um, and it did 
we were always drawing the links to, you know, that we have the privilege as students on campus, like the freedom to do that kind of thing. And that um, it was a totally different story off campus. And um, Champaign was a, is a decent sized city. And then even though Urbana was um, progressive, um, it was, it was uh, complicated because it's a big college town. Um, yeah. So it felt important, like to keep traditions going that and especially something that ties the community to the campus like cash wednesday did yeah and um so were there any other memorable or significant moments uh or you know incidents or anything that stand out from your experiences at hash wednesday that you were kind of like thinking like wow i, I want to share that on air i'm sure some of those stories came up if there are any um, yeah, the costume contest was pretty epic, things like that, that we were able to do all of that. Um, looking back on it was, um, that's just what came up for me that, uh, and how much has changed since then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I guess not. I guess not for that one. Cool. Um, so this one is it's kind of obvious for people that know what you do and maybe are tuning in already knowing what you do. Um, but if you could share any insights into how Hash Wednesday may have influenced your uh, personal life um, during your time and after your time at UIUC. Yeah, I know you asked me to introduce myself and I realize now I didn't really do that. Um so we on campus, um, all of that work led to a full-time career in cannabis um, in the industry in California for many years. So, uh, and everything I've done since then, really, um, I did, I do remember feeling like, wow, like, because we're at this place at this time, I'm, I've founded um, some campus groups. I was leading those groups and had access to this, the campus funding and this thing, Hash Wednesday, that had been going on. We were um, trusted to do that or were able to do that. And it was part of a lot of other activities that led to me being um, recruited out to California um, to work for Berkeley Patients Group. Um, that was in 2005 uh, when the cannabis market in California looked completely different than it does now. Um, so I was uh, working in dispensaries, cultivation centers. Um, I helped start Oaksterdam University. I was the first uh, chancellor at Oaksterdam. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Funny story about that. It all happened really fast. I was working in the Oaksterdam garden in the nursery learning. I was helping take care of the clones and mother plants. Um, and what we were doing was legal in Oakland, but definitely not legal, really. <laughs> but in Oakland, you know, I um, I was immersed in Bay Area cannabis culture for almost 15 years. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's been just a wonderful part of my life. And, and um, yeah, teaching classes at Oaksterdam in the early days, um, 2007, and um, worked for... Uh, at a cannabis doctor's office for many years in Berkeley. So that was um, 
cutting edge, uh, Dr. Frank Lucido and nurse practitioner Maria Mangini were um, one of the first primary care offices to uh, recommend cannabis. And then they went, and that was in um, 1995. Uh, when I was working for them in the 2000s, they were the first, uh, one of the very first, and still one of the only doctors that uh, was is giving specific recommendations for cannabis for kids. Um, a lot of our patients had autism and or seizures, um, cancer. Um, so I've worked on the medical side um, very closely, um, managing that practice in Berkeley. And then uh, just a range of um, other, <laughs> I guess, gigs that were, you know, also some of this really has felt like activism at the same time. Um, but uh, I worked with Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris. I've, I've worked on a lot of, uh, with lawyers, um, criminal defense lawyers in California. Um, and then um, now currently, I mean, for the past almost 10 years, um, have been more self-employed, working with Shaleen Title a lot. We um, have been organizing together since campus. I guess I didn't specifically say that. She was my co-founder for, our campus groups, um, and she's done a lot of different kinds of work in in the cannabis policy world. Um, and currently, we're working together again through Parabola Center. Her um, uh, Shaleen founded uh, Parabola Center for Law and Policy. It's a nonprofit think tank. Uh, we're very focused on anti-monopoly work and. Um, trying to prepare for federal legalization. And we talk all the time about, we never would have predicted that this is where we'd be at this point in our life, that um, uh, federal legalization is right around the corner. And we didn't even think we'd see any legalization in our lifetime. So it's happening really fast. Um, it all started on the Urbana-Champaign campus and now it's over 20 years later. Um, and I am, really it's just full circle to be able to work with Shaleen and um, a really unique um, nonprofit mission. Um, and the I'm not so much of a business person, uh, but I did have a, a cannabis staffing agency, one of the first cannabis staffing companies, THC Staffing Group. And we had a mentoring program. I mean, I, I think there's still a lot yet to come. Um, you know, right now, Shalene and I are really focused on uh, Parabola Center, um, but it's still like just part of this whole giant puzzle of unraveling the war on drugs. And it's a life, it's lifetimes of work ahead of us. Um, so I'm really glad to be working on the more um, serious and important side of, of the work right now. <laughs> yeah. So cannabis is a Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, so cannabis is a gateway drug. Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, a stupid joke. But what I was trying, do you get what I was trying to say by that? No, for sure. It's like the gateway to the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. It was <laughs> like, so um, I'm just curious to kind of close Uh you know, I feel like we've touched all the bases that I wanted to touch on, but you've alluded to this throughout. And I know this is a big topic to close on. So feel free to like take your time on it. And it, I know that we could also just do a whole entire episode on just this topic. 
but I am curious because you've alluded to it a few times and it's a question I plan to ask all of the Hash Wednesday participants. How do they feel about the current state of legalization? Obviously, there's plenty of room for improvement, right? Um, but one of the questions I wanted to kind of focus on that I think is pretty pretty uniform across states right now is the idea that it's not like it's interesting to me speaking to some of the old participants there was this like uh it sounds like at least in the 80s or whatever there was this fracture in the community where it was like decriminalize or legalize and it's not exactly what i thought it was and that decriminalize was actually like a shorter baby step proposal and then legalized was thought of as like this, like it's like the end goal, you know, but now we have legalization in Illinois and Colorado and so many other states. But what I see, and I've talked to like different defense attorneys is like, it seems like the main enforcement mechanism for legal cannabis is law enforcement. And to, to just, just to give you an example, like mm -hmm. if I have more than 30 grams, but I don't have a medical card in Illinois, you can get charged with like a pretty serious crime depending on how much exactly you do possess. And those possession limits are even lower for non-residents. This seems to be pretty standard. Like when I go to Colorado, I learned that that's how they kind of enforce their system. Um, they still have possession limits. That's kind of what I wanted to focus on for this. You know, of course there's so many other topics we could go on, but I'm just thinking of like back in the day and hash Wednesday, was you know somebody smoking on a joint that's like yeah i want weed to be legal but you should only be able to have an ounce <laughs> you know i'm just curious as somebody who participated in the back in that back in the day something as simple as a concept of possession limits what do you think about things like that in our current state of legalization because i could make this conversation so much bigger than you know there's so much to talk about but mm -hmm. yeah it Back then, it was still an abstract concept that we thought would take a long time. And I still feel that way because I yeah. think that what we were really, what really drives us is true legalization, which is abolition work also. There's a lot of overlap of abolition work yeah. and legalization work. And right now, what we have is not legalization it's tax and regulation would and we have some decriminalization that actually is more like abolition like doing away with having any reason to detain arrest prosecute people um what's been happening is yeah we're actually having more categories of crimes like more ways of detaining somebody and and more cases potential for cases against people um in a way because uh yeah now a lot of what kinds of activity had been going on and just being kind of kept quiet is now like you know you're now you're operating you you're, you're doing business without a license <laughs> basically like now that there's the business aspect of it it's just a whole different game that i did not anticipate because again i'm not a business person i was a teenager who just thought that people should be able to smoke weed and grow weed <laughs> at home like small home grow 
um, these basics that we still don't have in many places. Illinois, I am always telling people we really don't have homegrown in Illinois because you can only legally grow five plants if you're registered as a patient. And that's a whole thing. Like the medicalization that's happened is not necessarily the best form of legalization. It's um, it's medicalization. That's That's something that's part of legalization, but um, it's just now that it's been happening, it's really complicated. It's way more complicated than a lot of us thought in the beginning, of course, because we were ki basically kids. Sure. Um, we just, you know, thought we were just fighting for the, like the the basics, home grow, freedom, just freedom of thought, you know, um, and and public consumption. I mean, we still don't have that in a lot of places. Um, so something like Cash Wednesday is still remarkable when you get people together and publicly consume in a place that technically they could like get into legal trouble for doing that still that's like a lot of our public spaces so we're still fighting for a lot of the same things and um meanwhile the war on drugs has just raged on and um so we're still even figuring out a lot of the criminal justice reforms that we need all of the different ways we have to unravel the war on drugs um we're barely just getting started on that work because the war on drugs continues. It's not even stopped yet. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we're, we're making some progress overall as a society, you know, through culture change and awareness, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, yeah. Like you say, it like continues the drug war and it almost just manifests itself in a different way. And I think something that you said that really made a light bulb go off for me that somebody has said that reminds me of something that somebody has said on this show in the past, uh, it's something to the effect of, it might've even been Shalene now that I think about it, uh, cannabis and cannabis policy is the biggest uh the, it's the biggest like distinction between federal and state policy since slavery and so like you say um i might have said that but i might have butchered that quote but you know um like you say though it is a lot like abolition work and similar to the end of slavery and trying to address racism that work still goes on to this day like we've not addressed that you know what i mean so to your point cannabis is like that you know maybe yeah and i mean to specify like i think modern day the abolition work that i got involved in in college was um specifically prison abolition but that is prison is where we still have legal slavery that's like fully right. out in the legal um we have all for other forms of slavery still in this country but um and around the world too like same with all the it's all tied in with drug trade and international drug markets i mean yeah and and also is a whole nother conversation but just as far as what i'm work i've been working on for the last year um and longer um now that so much is happening in the U.S. and and Shaleen is involved in some of that work. Um, other countries are looking to the U.S. to exactly with the same questions as you, Cole. Like, wait, like, what's really even going on here? Is this, you know, what's what are we really talking about between decrim, tax yeah. and regulate, full legalization, and now we're talking about other drugs, um, and it's related to everyone we trade, import, export with. So. Um, that's all happening too. Meanwhile, 
the, the a lot of other countries are looking to the U.S. to see what what's working, what's not working, um, so that we can figure this out on a larger scale. That's when I think some of the real repair can start. Like we can, you know, on a international scale for people to be able to benefit from um, legalization, not business. Cannabis business doesn't benefit anybody in other countries that we've harmed, who we've harmed <laughs> uh, right. because of the drug. You know, um, that just, continues to make like a small percentage of people richer here that's not helpful <laughs> actually it could be it could be helpful and you know in some parts of the country and the cannabis market when you look at the social equity programs and um you know kind of on a smaller scale although massachusetts it's i wouldn't even say small scale i'd say you know really on a state level there are some real lessons being learned about how the cannabis market could do better to be more equitable to actually serve more of a purpose than just big business um so yeah i could rant on for days with you i'm sure and yeah. i just you know everything's related so i know i like talk in circles <laughs> hey it's totally okay this doesn't have to be the last time we get on i uh, i'm glad we've been able to get together to talk about hash wednesday so um well just a last question. Um, looking back, do you think there's any legacy or lasting impact that this tradition has had? Um, hmm. Seems like it, you know, even just from your experience of when you've been researching it and kind of around town on the beat. <laughs> yeah. And it's like memorable for people and it, it's a um, conversation starter. There's so many aspects to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's reminding me too, uh, I don't want to forget to tell you, there's a local character who was named Chef Ra, um, who was part of the Hash Wednesday history. And he had a local, there was a really great um, local radio station that I'm sure is still there. And Chef Ra had a show and, um, you know, there was a lot of awareness about who he was and that what he represented. He was um, affiliated with High Times as well. He had a column in High Times. Um, so I think that that is an important part of the history of how something like Hash Wednesday continued on and off and on <laughs> for so many years. Um, yeah, people like him who, you know, were part of the community, the like lived in Champaign-Urbana um, for many years. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sorry, I said that was my final question, but you just reminded me <laughs> that I do have one more question. Uh, the, a lot of the people that I've talked to said there's a lot of synchronicity around Champagne. Um, for example, <laughs> Keith Stroop, Keith Stroop or Strope, uh, Illinois, Nor you know, Normal came out of, uh, was started in Champagne. I think the guy that started High Times was from Champagne, of course, Hash Wednesday, Champagne, in 1942. Uh, you you can look this up and you can find this on the internet. But THC was actually discovered in Champagne. Um, yeah, and they I believe synthesized C CBN and yeah, at the yeah. U of I. Yep, at the U of I. Um, yeah. This is a this seems like a reach, but hear me out. You know. Hugh Hefner went to the U of I and he was a pretty big proponent of cannabis legalization. So he was a major funder of um for Keith Stroop. 
founding normal. Oh, interesting. Didn't even know that. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, just wanted to see if you could comment on the, do you feel the same synchronicity? Do you have any other name drops of big people? I've heard like Jack Herrera came through the University of Illinois Champaign, like for protests and stuff. Yeah, um, well, it got me bonus points with Ed Rosenthal when I first uh, met him. Um, and I ended up um, bringing him to campus. And, you know, he was very willing to come to what he called, I believe he was one of the people that called the shampoo banana. <laughs> um, and people used to always kind of test me, like the elders would be like, oh, shampoo banana. And then you have to know like, oh yeah, champagne urbana. Some people call it shampoo banana. Okay. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I guess there's that synchronicity of um, it's a, it's a hub. It's always been a hub, a cultural hub and kind of a, um, bit of a I mean I don't even want to say safe space but safer space than um most other parts of Illinois I mean other than Chicago I'm sure there's some other like and that's changed now but I think that that's you know why Champaign-Urbana was it was specifically Urbana you know Urbana um just was a very like hippie kind of town and smaller than Champaign and um so that's part of the the history as well just the the difference between the two um yeah yeah well uh, uh yeah and other people I'll, I'll i'll let you know too if i think of anybody else and i'm curious what you find when you're speaking to people oh, as far as who came through town i mean yeah after ed rosenthal we we had some other we had several other um visitors usually from california would come through um different leaders and through leap um, but big names, I don't know. And I know there's still a lot of, um, important research going on on campus. That's been a continuous yeah. one. So yeah, yeah for that reminder, cause there's, um, a lot of hemp research and, um, yes. sort of degree now, right. In the uh -huh. farm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just, uh, Dr. DK Lee, who kind of started that all at the UI at the university of Illinois, the hemp program and some of that hemp research, came on our show, uh, the Chillinois podcast back in the day and actually just recently ran into him and was talking about how the program's going. And it sounds like it's going really well. They have an avenue for like, you know, kind of a fiber industrial route, but then they also have a route for like cannabinoid production, like people that want to get into the cannabis industry. And I thought that's so cool. You can go to the university of Illinois and learn how to grow weed just to put it bluntly. Um, yeah. you know, so, uh, super cool stuff to hear that that's how it continues on and yeah i'll just close with saying that i don't believe in much of anything and i know that sounds depressing but what i mean by that is like i'm not like a like a religious person or anything i don't like believe in like you know spiritual stuff or or anything like that but like it's hard for me not to like want to make something out of this like the fact that i grew up so close to champagne urbana and just happened to have hit the tra trajectory that I'm on with drug policy. And this just like coincidence in Champaign-Urbana, it's like a really notable place. Like, I just wonder if there was like something in the air, like, or if I just was influenced by somebody in a weird way, you know, I don't it's know. It's weird. I do feel like I've always been seeking like those, the really good weed that you could get in Champaign. Well, Urbana specifically, I would yeah. say um, that was grown locally or somewhere uh -huh. far and 
um maybe it's nostalgia but you know like the mushroom chocolate <laughs> psilocybin chocolate um just I think the possibly the like larger subculture of like the drug culture there and just the the meeting of the minds you know and um just personal note Allerton Park if you don't already know which oh, I'm yeah. sure you <laughs> it's just a beautiful um part of the the Midwest I guess and a good school and all that but yeah it's a crossroads too right it's like the center it's right in the center of the state so a lot of people do come through there or um you know go would go stay there for and big names would come through big musicians are always coming through there or used to anyway <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's a crazy place. Like I say, I feel fortunate to have grown up uh, near here. And I'm just checking. Uh, yeah, Allerton's in Monticello. That's what you're referring to. Um, uh, yeah, I've got actually a short clip that I made that I actually shot at Allerton. Do you want to watch it to close the show? It's kind of funny. Yeah. A little bit of commentary on uh uh, it's satirical, so be ready. It gets a little outrageous, but it's a little bit of commentary on the current state of cannabis in, in Illinois, but other states as well. So it's shot at Allerton. So I'm a cannabis industry billionaire. And you know what? Things are going pretty goddamn well for me. I've established a firm regulatory foothold within several nascent cannabis markets across these United States. I've worked to ensure that nobody even has a chance to compete with me. You might be asking yourself, how did I do this? The answer is simple. Cash money, bitch. No, seriously, me and my VC bros Chad, Brad, and Thad poured at least 600k into lobbying in one state alone. I say at least because, of course, we weren't forthright with all of our political giving. Oh! This is a venture capitalist knee. You see that fucking knee? Fucking do it the other way, too. Transparency simply isn't the goal. The goal is complete domination. Yeah, me and my buddies Kirk, Aiden, and McKinley are starting a rock band. We're calling it Regulatory Capture. I'm quickly becoming the king of cannabis. The next industry that I plan to colonize is the psychedelic industry. I'm relatively bullish about quarter two, but quarter three, let me tell you, it's looking beautiful. Yeah, we should celebrate. You want some? What is that? Uh, weed? I don't smoke, but I'll try. <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> That's just me being silly. Um, and Allerton. Um, Oh my gosh. See? You get the you get the joke though. It's just being outrageous about cannabis industry billionaires and yeah. other out of touch. Also like so triggering and um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well anyways focused today. I've tried to stay focused on like the positive aspect and just owning like that I had a role in this to, and talk about it from the heart. But um yeah, I didn't mention, uh, you know, Carol Ammons and Aaron Ammons and the the just specifically more about the community that we were working within. So I feel like I didn't give enough credit to all the like larger, the yeah. larger in Champaign-Urbana for sure. Definitely just speaking from my perspective, which was a student who's not from there. <laughs> yeah. And there's always been a long tradition of radical politics there. Like, 
so much more you and I can talk about at some point or I can and I'll send you what I think of like just yeah it's definitely been a hub of radical thought so I think that that's really important yeah thank you for bringing up representative Ammons as you know I'm a huge fan but again this is we're doing the true definition of a midwestern goodbye on this one (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, my blurred back the background is not working and it's like golden hour so that's a good reminder we are um approaching the end <laughs> yeah well danielle i want to thank you for your time today and again i think we should do this again you know just about any anything and everything uh, I, I was glad though to be able to sit down with you and have a focus on hash wednesday and to archive some of this history thank you for helping me capture it yes thank you it's been so good to talk and i look forward to to more Cool. Well, folks, we'll see you in the next one. Take care.